Looking at the news today, whether it's a local or global, there seems to be a common thread. We're inundated with one auditor scandal after the other. Yet despite the, the constant failings that we've seen in parts of the audit profession, the, the profession seems to continue to survive. Here to help us unpack how and why we've seen some of these corporate scandals emerge and, and what the industry should be doing about it going forward, I've invited Portfolio Manager Neville Chester, who, uh, full disclosure here, also happens to be a chartered accountant, to provide more context. I'm Kirshni Totram, and you are listening to the Coronation podcast series. Neville, thanks uh, for joining me today. First, very quick question, maybe just to provide background and uh, context. Can you maybe summarize for us what is the key, what, what, how did the order profession, what is the key purpose and service that it provides within the capital system and hence a failing, what repercussions does it really have? Thanks, Kirshni. Um, the audit of publicly listed firms, of, of state-owned entities, of all corporations really is um, one of the key roles in the financial sector. It's akin to having a referee on a field between two sports teams. It's around making sure that the rules are being consistently applied and everyone knows that they are being applied and they're being consistently applied across all teams. So they really, in, a, in the corporate world where uh, you are heavily reliant and certainly investors, debt holders, employees, government who, who receive taxes, all stakeholders, are heavily reliant that the set of financial statements that a company produces accurately reflect the performance of that company. And since you can't allow all of those parties to have underlying detail and access to your financials, you rely on a trusted third party to make sure, first of all, that there are appropriate systems in place and controls in place to make sure that those financials will get prepared properly. And then it's incumbent on them to do tests to make sure and again, they, they aren't expected to go through every transaction, but they're supposed to, to sample and test to make sure that they've done enough work to be able to give an opinion that those financials accurately reflect the, the state. So it's an incredible key part of the financial system, and uh, hence why you're seeing so many articles, uh, so much being written about what has become prevalent, which is a failure of them to fulfill their task. The extent and number of failures that we have seen is surprising. I mean, the last time that we saw real consequence to, to any of the audit firms was in 2001. Back then, Arthur Anderson and the, the Enron saga. We haven't really seen any of that size repercussions since, but maybe for those who aren't following the headlines as closely as we are, just to provide um, some context and insight into the different number of sagas and that have come out of recent that has become uh, more and more worrying. Yeah, so just, I mean, just looking in South Africa, obviously, we, we've had a number recently. There's currently a, an investigation that's only just started today, and I mean, we'll touch on that later, into Deloitte and their audit of African Bank, the bank which obviously uh, went under and question marks about how the auditor assessed the quality of the balance sheet and provisions. And there's been some allegations about inappropriate behavior by the auditors there. Uh, following up that again, you've had obviously Steinoff, which again is uh, Deloitte with the auditor where clearly there's been massive fraud and misstatement of accounts 
and this has not been picked up by an auditor that's been in there for well over a decade. And, you know, subsequent to that, you've had VBS Bank, a mutual bank where that's come out uh, audited by KPMG, internal audit by PwC, yet it was apparent that there was a number of things going wrong there, whether it was deposits being taken inappropriately, loans granted inappropriately. So, you know, it really does seem, and then uh, in Konki, recently in the headlines uh, going under and apparent allegations of them using inappropriate incentives to get uh, consulting work for them and their partner um, at ESCOM. So it seems incredibly widespread. And, and of course, just living in South Africa and having been exposed to the amount of corruption and state capture and the various activities that have been going on, you kind of think, well, is this symptomatic of just the decline of ethics and standards in South Africa? But if you open the FT, um, it's the same articles and it's the same firms and the same names um, are being accused of similar failure to pick up and identify material misstatements, whether it's in the UK, the US, other emerging markets. This is very prevalent. And, you know, you're right. It's, it's been a long time since we've seen a company fail. And um, why do you think that is? I mean, the big four hold this dominance in the market. And as you've rightly said, this is not about one particular country or representative of the culture of an emerging market versus a developed market. This seems to be a constant theme amongst the profession. Yeah. So, you know, the big issue is the fact that there are only four big auditors. And given global networks and the globalization of businesses, really large companies only want to be audited by someone that they believe is large enough to have the appropriate skills, large enough to be able to have offices around the world to audit where they are. And since there are only four, really the world cannot afford another one to disappear. It's already problematic that Anderson disappeared and reduced the choice. And somehow or another, and again, it's, it's due to the nature of how the industry is structured, you haven't seen new firms, new competitors come through. And so these four really do have a dominant hold. And it's really a case of damned if you do, damned if you don't. And you know, as I said before, it, it appears that you know there isn't any one of them that's standing out as being a glowing icon. They all have been accused around the world of various failures. So there's definitely a, a massive structural issue um, in the industry. I think it's it's also important to bear in mind that in order to regulate your requirements, so these businesses don't exist, they aren't there because people like to buy their product, they exist because they are required typically by a Companies Act to have an audit. So it's actually a mandatory requirement that they have an audit. So it's not unfair that, you know, the rules of that regulation can change to provide more comfort to other stakeholders. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and this is the point is what is the purpose of an audit if it fails to fulfill its need? If you look around the world in any kind of industry where a company fails in its provision of its service, that company comes under massive scrutiny. It's required to uh, reimburse customers. Uh, it has major impact on the management of the business, potentially puts the business at risk. Here you have a company whose service has failed a number of times with meaningful consequences for investors. There have been you know, significant losses, just talking about the South African examples as well as global. But there doesn't seem to be accountability or any kind of change in, in the behavior of the auditing profession. I mean, just leading on to that, let's talk about the role of the oversight bodies, the, the regulatory bodies. Most professions, like the auditing profession, does have an oversight body, yet they fail to act. They fail to actually demonstrate um, any teeth 
in sort of enacting consequences for wrongdoing. I mean, what do you think that the regulatory and oversight bodies could have done better, can do better, and where have they really failed? Yeah, and again, this is not just a local issue, but we've seen comments around it globally. Um, it's generally too little, too late has been, you know, the impact of all these bodies. They, I think, just looking locally, I think they woefully under-resourced. Don't believe the organization has sufficient resources. I referred earlier to Deloitte being you know, interrogated for African Bank, you know, this is well over three years since that happened. So it has been, you know, a significant time period has elapsed between when that event happened and, and any kind of follow-up. So your link, your accountability is not there. And then ultimately, you know, do these organizations have the appropriate skill set? Often these kind of, you know, semi-legal organizations aren't necessarily going to attract the, the best and brightest minds who typically go into top paying finance jobs. So, you know, do they have the appropriate skill set to be able to go in and do the kinds of investigations that are necessary? Or should they be looking at, you know, hiring those skills in? Um, and being prepared to pay the price for it. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, and I think the profession at the end of the day, picking up that price in order to regain some credibility with their clients. I mean, recently we've seen the SEBI act quite strongly against PwC, where they banned them from auditing any listed company accounts in, in India. Now, that's the first time that we've actually seen some proper action. Do you think that's appropriate and we should see more of that from regulators in other countries? Yeah, I mean, that was a powerful message and it clearly it's shaken a lot of uh, companies and, and woken them up. Obviously, you don't, to referring to the previous point, is you don't want to take out another firm but you do want to make sure that that pain is felt and accountability is felt. And, and part of this ties into to the other point, which is you're dealing with these global organizations. So all the big four auditing firms have a brand, yet it's not one organization. Each individual country is ring-fenced. So that allows them to, where there is a particular fraud or an issue, uh, ring-fence the liability just to that particular region. So it's not the entire group brand that's actually bearing the accountability for whatever uh, inappropriate action was done. And therefore, the entire organization loses the link of making sure that you are maintaining standards across the organization. If the whole organization was held accountable, I think there would be a far greater focus around controls and around the standards that those organizations were, were putting out there. I mean, I think that's an important point to lead on in, uh, next into is just the structure of these firms, you know, talking to that exactly, the partnership structure, the fact that you they benefit from a global presence, but is largely have controls and governance structures dictated by country-like uh, levels. I mean, if you were looking at an audit company today, and clearly you have a bit of insight, having worked at one historically, what changes would you say should come about to these organizations? So, you know, following on from what you're saying, I would say they need to become global organizations where global accountability financially as, as well as managerially is centralized. So more integrated. More, yeah, absolutely. And you know that if you get an audit by XYZ, if it's in the United States of America, whether it's in Nigeria, whether it's in Australia, you are getting the same quality and the same standard because that is what the brand, that's what the name promises. But the reality is that's not what's being delivered on the ground. And there is no incentive for the organization as a whole 
to make sure those standards are maintained because there isn't, you know, other than some brand reputation, there isn't a genuine financial liability. Any problem that occurs in a particular region is ring-fenced there. So you think you're dealing with a global organization, but to some extent, you, you're actually dealing just with a small operation. So I think driving the accountability is very, very important. The other thing that hasn't been dealt with enough is the fact that these uh, organizations are all themselves unlisted, not transparent. Uh, they typically don't have any independent oversight. Um, recently in South Africa, KPMG, in order to try and deal with some of the issues that were raised, have brought on an independent chairperson and independent uh, non-executive. That's not the typical structure globally. These organizations are run purely by executive, uh, the partners, and there is no independent oversight, uh, no conscience effectively sitting at a board level, you know, assessing whether these businesses are being run to the right standards. And I mean, just in terms of we've talked about what changes can occur at the regulatory level and what changes can occur at, say, the structure of the audit firms. But what are we doing? In the meantime, uh, we manage a significant amount of client money. We rely on these statements that they're important service providers. Clearly, we have also a role to play in enforcing a new mindset change within the, the capital system. So can you talk us through some of the initiatives that we're looking at? I think you know first point is is we are under no illusions as to our ability to affect the global auditing profession. That doesn't mean we aren't going to try and make sure that our voice is heard where we can. Uh, the key thing that we are doing is enforcing uh, mandatory audit firm rotation. I mean what that means is that we don't want any single audit firm to audit a company for a period greater than ten years. We believe that uh, first of all, it, it impacts on the independence. The company, the audit firm itself, becomes reliant on that company as a client, and therefore, you know, it could impact on their ability to view their accounts independently. Secondly, we think the fact that you know an audit firm knows that they will be replaced and a new firm will come in and will assess effectively the quality of their work and their job, that's going to make them work harder. Make sure they know that when they hand over to the next audit firm, they've done a job to a quality, to a standard that they're proud of and that they're open to being interrogated by another firm. The third point, I think, is it drives home very hard. The accountability of auditors is not to the board, uh, not to the executive, but actually to the stakeholder, the other stakeholders, shareholders in the company, uh, government, etc. So by shareholders stepping up and saying, listen, we are going to make sure that the auditors change, they start to realize that who it is that they're actually doing their job Four. And more and more, I'm pretty sure, you know, both on our side and other shareholders will be taking action where appropriate against failures by audit companies, should that be the only recourse that, uh, you know, we've been left with. Absolutely. And, you know, you see that more and more. Um, and companies where investigative work uh, clearly shows that there was a failure um, of auditors to fulfill their mandate, there will be financial repercussions for, for those audit firms. And if we close, lastly, on a more philosophical type of question, if you were sitting and thinking about how does the profession go about regaining trust um, within the system, rebuilding its relevance and significance, what do you think the, the steps they should take? Or at the very least, where should they start? Yeah. Look, I think it's going to take time. As we know, um, trust is earned. <laughs> I've heard so, that somewhere before. <laughs> so really, it's... I think, you know, I've mentioned the word accountability quite a bit. I think that's really 
where it starts with audit firms being prepared to take accountability for what they're signing off on. I think there needs to be a long, hard look. I mean, audit firms will often, you know, claim that they can't be expected to find any or, or every kind of fraud, which begs the question is, is what purpose does an audit fulfill? So there needs to be you know, a long, hard think about what an audit is trying to achieve and how that needs to, uh, to go about. And there's debates in the industry about whether audits are effectively being used as loss leaders to get into companies to then sell more expensive consulting work afterwards. And that leads to a lot of debate around whether they should be breaking consulting away from audit. I think auditors should be properly assessing in mind as to how much an audit costs and making sure that the audit is being priced, funded and staffed on a standalone basis to provide a high quality product and not as something that's just seen as a loss leader to gain access to the corporate network of, of a business. Well, thank you very much, Neville, for those insights. And for those of you who would like to read more, uh, Neville has written an article about the relevance of auditors in a post-financial scandal uh, world. And you'll find that in the latest edition of Correspondent, which is available on the coronation.com website, as well as the, the Correspondent app. And uh, feel free to download more of the Coronation podcasts available on the Coronation's website, its uh, app, alternatively on iTunes. Thank you.